the war was over. It was November of 1945, barely a month since VJ Day, and the country was still basking in a sense of relief, pride in a job well done, and cautious optimism for the future. But, in a quiet, partially dismantled office in Staten Island, a solid, if rounded gent on the cusp of 60, took the pen offered to him and quickly, with no great ceremony or hesitation, signed his name and dubious military rank on the contract before him. And just like that, after a scant two-year run, the last physical vestiges of the Tesla Broadcasting Company had been sold. The legal representative of the Columbia Broadcasting System retrieved his pen and secured the papers in his briefcase. He shook the man's hand to complete the deal. Thank you, Corporal Spivey, he said, as a pleasantry to the man whose last great venture he'd just effectively buried. What's next for you? Lunch, Spivey reportedly answered. Hello, listeners. Brendan Jones here welcoming you back to the Tesla City Limits. If you've listened to our previous installments, you'll know that I tend to bounce around a bit. So, so sue me. Time for a Tesla City sidebar. Actually, please don't sue me. I've got nothing you want and can't even afford one of those cheap lawyers that advertises on bus benches. Okay? That was a Tesla City sidebar. The continuing saga of my personal relationship to the TBC will resume next time. But today, I feel it necessary to go back farther than my own little lifespan and introduce you folks to the true father of the Tesla Broadcasting Company. But before we begin, I should state for the record that pretty much this entire episode should be equipped with an asterisk. The reason will become readily apparent. Now... Let's talk about Egerton Spivey, Buck to his friends, and the Corporal to pretty much everybody else. According to the scant amount of biographical information I've found on the man, it seems that Spivey was born, possibly, in Dubuque, Iowa, in possibly 1886, though there are conflicting stories as to both location and date. I can state with factual certainty that 50 or so years later, he arrived in the Big Apple, a self-made millionaire with big dreams and a life story that was, when held up to even the most forgiving scrutiny, almost entirely fictitious. In short, he was what they would have called a fabulist back in the day, or now what they would call George Santos. Ooh, topical zing that surely won't date this. Basically, Spivey was a self-mythologizer on an impressive scale. For example, Spivey claimed to have been a fighter pilot in World War I, flying alongside Allied ace Eddie Rickenbacker, although the U.S. Air Service's records have no mention of him. That fact, and a notable fear of flying that was observed by those in later years who accompanied him on commercial flights, cast serious doubts on the veracity of his claim. When confronted by an investigative reporter about this, Spivey merely shrugged and said he was only afraid of flying when, quote, somebody else's hand is on the stick, 
unquote. That same reporter asked Spivey if he was aware that most of his associates believed his tales of wartime aviation were a fabrication, to which he replied, quote, If I was going to invent a military service record for myself, don't you think I'd give myself a higher rank than corporal? Unquote. In another instance, Buck Spivey also claimed to have spent many years of leisure as a big game hunter, but after his passing, the only trophy in his possession was an impressive stuffed grizzly bear that still had a tag from a Brooklyn flea market attached to its foot. The search for any shred of truth in the life story of Buck Spivey is a challenge, and that certainly extends to the origin of his fortune. His version of the tale had him wildcatting in the Ozarks after the war, finally striking it rich with the Blue Heaven oil field of northwestern Kentucky. Now, part of this is actually verifiable. Blue Heaven was indeed the source of his wealth, but he had nothing to do with its discovery. That field was, in truth, originally discovered and drilled by a lifelong oil man named Prescott Brainerd. So, how did Spivey obtain it? <laughs> Though it seems a fantastic, and not to mention embarrassing tale, on his deathbed, Brainerd himself confessed that he lost the Blue Heaven Deeds to Spivey in a high-stakes game of canasta. So, in 1936, as a self-proclaimed aviator, wildcatter, and hunter, the paunchy 50-year-old who certainly didn't look or act like a millionaire arrived in Manhattan. That's a fact. It's also a fact that in 1942, Spivey got into the radio biz in a big way, sinking a large chunk of his fortune into the founding of the Tesla Broadcasting Company. In the six years between those two documented events, Spivey met three unlikely people who would have a great effect on his life. One was the notorious mobster Meyer Lansky. Time for a Tesla City Sidebar. No, really. Spivey encountered Lansky at a barbershop, of all things, and then partnered to help naval intelligence together against fascist collaborators. But, uh, okay, I know, it's crazy. But that's a story for another day. That was a Tesla City sidebar. Another influential figure would be Mei Fong Wei, the 16-year-old Chinese circus performer and contortionist who would become the last of Spivey's wives. And the third in this summary would be the eccentric genius Nikola Tesla. Now, I've already covered the chance meeting in Central Park between Spivey and Tesla in the first episode of the Tesla City Limits. Uh, still there if you need a refresher. At that point in time, Tesla was well into his late-life obscurity and gentle madness, as it's been called. One can only wonder what he got out of his relationship with Spivey other than pleasant and no doubt unchallenging conversation a few free lunches, and help with the rent. But for Spivey, Tesla was the spark of inspiration. Clearly, and this is according to everyone who ever knew the man and spoke about him later, Corporal Buck Spivey was no genius. Not very imaginative or driven. He seems to have been, at most, a guy not afraid to take big swings at improbable fences, but just rubbing shoulders with a once-in-a-century mind like Tesla's. This is a man whose every speculative conception put any tall tale Spivey ever spun to shame, spurred the one true thing the corporal ever created. The Tesla Broadcasting Company was conceived by a liar 
who got lucky. But one thing nobody doubted about Spivey. He genuinely, truly loved the TBC. From all reports, and contradictory to the possibly apocryphal story of its last day that I started this episode with, Spivey was never the same after his network left the airwaves. There's certainly more to cover in regards to Corporal Egerton Buck Spivey and the origins of the TBC, but next go-round, please join me for the second part of my autobiographical journey towards, uh, uh, this place? Thing? (laughs) Uh, and I promise I'll put a little more effort into my syntax. This is Brendan Jones, Director and Chief Archivist, dropping you off at the Tesla City Limits. I trust you know your way back home. The Tesla City Stories is produced by Lauren McCune, John Campbell, and Brendan Jones. Executive produced by Jerry Christman for Raygun Gothic, LLC. Additional production support provided by John Campbell. Special thanks to Sam Mowry of Willamette Radio Workshop, our dedicated cast of talented actors, our tireless crew, and the support of our incredible fans all across Tesla Nation. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review us on your platform of choice, and spread the word about us. That all helps to boost the signal. To learn more about us and see upcoming dates of our live performances, check out our website at teslacitystories.com. <laughs>